Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, my name is Troy, pronouns he, him. With me, as always... And I'm Ed, my pronouns are they and them. And today we're talking about the sneaky, stabby boys of Dungeons & Dragons. The Rogue. So super edgy. Or as they were known for the first few editions, The Thief. Oh, that's right. I forgot they were called Thieves for a while. Yeah, for uh, two, I guess two, two and a half editions, they were known as Thieves. And then since third edition, they've been referred to as Rogues. I feel like that's something I shouldn't have forgotten considering like how much Baldur's Gate I've been playing lately. I have not been playing Baldur's Gate, so I have not gathered my party before venturing forth. But before we venture forth, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about, you know, things we've done in the last week related to the hobby. I'll go first. I've run uh, two games of my Eberron campaign. They've been good. They've been doing different things. The first group has been investigating a lycanthrope infestation in the city of Trollenport in Eberron. They figured out that it was were-rats, mm-hmm. delved into the sewers beneath the nightclub that the were-rats had been running, where they ran into some giant rats, some were-rats, the leader of the were-rats, who had levels in Artificer, and a rat king, which is not a normal D&D monster, but the rat king is a like folklore mythology creature created when... A bunch of rats get their tails tangled up from living in a, like, enclosed area. And typically they would starve to death because they're all tangled together and couldn't move. But then rat catchers or whatever would find them. And it would be this kind of, like, monstrous blob of rats. I was figuring since it was a nightclub, you were going to say moon rats. No, they're not moon rats. Um, In this case, the... Rat King is like a swarm, essentially treated as a swarm of rats that's intelligent and had limited spell casting. That's terrifying. Yeah. Also, it was a large size creature rather than just being like a medium one. So it was, it was quite entertaining. Um, all of its spells were rat themed. <laughs> when it cast, say, Cloud of Daggers, instead of daggers, it just like summoned rats that attack everyone in a five foot square. Summoning Gnaw. Yeah, stuff like that. I can't, I can't think of any other weird rat-related stuff. Ray of Sickness was it, like, hurling an infected rat at people and stuff like that. It was an entertaining boss fight. About Ray of, Ray of Rats. <laughs> yeah, Ray of Rats, essentially. Um, the other group fought off some griffins and managed to get back to the city they were trying to get to. They successfully delivered a person where they were that they had been protecting. They stopped by the local library to do some research on various plot elements and sort of get the lore and background for who these people that they've been fighting are, which thank you so much for doing that, guys. I have all this lore and there's all this lore about Eberron that I know and have read up on and am aware of. And so you guys taking the time to like, in character go and determine what the hell is going on i very much appreciate that 
did they have to roll stealth to not get shushed? No, but the library is not a lending library, so the librarian was like, do not take books out of the library. Do not damage the books. We're watching you, adventurers. If it doesn't exist in the library, it doesn't exist. Perhaps the perhaps the library's records are incomplete. Inconceivable. While one of them was researching stuff in the library, the rest of the party went down to, like, the tavern and market area, where they found a labor dispute ongoing between the dock workers, half of which were warforged and the other half of which are hobgoblins. I'm beginning to detect a theme of labor disputes in our D&D campaigns. They're fun, and in this case, the hobgoblins are being sort of run, the hobgoblin dock workers are being sort of run by the Dask crime syndicate of goblins and hobgoblins and other monstrous races that the party has run into a few times before. There was a team of goblin assassins and a group of knoll mobsters out in the woods digging a shallow grave for somebody. And the warforged are being egged on by an organizer-type guy who, um... Yeah, he's probably working for the Lord of Blades. Major warforged villain in the Everon setting. If, it, if it's not apparent, labor is a thing that we like. Yeah. Well, and in this case, like, the labor dispute issue is... The Warforged aren't getting paid the same as everybody else because they don't need to eat. Management is just like, you're machines. We don't have to pay you the same as we pay everybody else. Doesn't matter. Equal pay for equal labor. And in fact, equal pay for equal days is what the Warforged were chanting. That's a good slogan. And yeah, those that's been my campaign. So that one ended when the party tried to organize a like, sit down between the two leaders, one of which is a gangster, the other of which is organizing on behalf of a warforged who would like to murder all the flesh people. And it started to go sideways when the criminals pulled an ogre up from the basement. And I mean, you'd you'd think that for warforged, warforged healthcare has got to be expensive with all those exotic parts, so they should still be getting paid as much as everybody else. Yeah, it's it. They don't have uh, HMO plans. They have warranties. I need to get an RMA. It's an extended warranty on your Warforged. Yeah, pack them up in a box, send them back. Yeah, we'll see which side the players end up joining in on. They also got a offer from the Gnomish secret police to just kill both leaders and let them put somebody who's a little more malleable in charge. Don't do it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, we ended that session right as the combat was about to start because it was getting late. So that'll be entertaining when that picks up. They're kind of stuck in this like, oh god, which side should we help mode, which is that, which I love. I like putting players into that sort of make a choice situation because it helps to define their characters. I would say since the Warforged are disadvantaged, I would say help the Warforged. Yeah, they don't know what the deal is with the Warforged organizer, like how powerful he is or anything. Dude's been wearing a cloak the whole time. And uh, no spoilers on the podcast, so. (laughs) How about you, Ed? What have you done this week in hobby? I've done... 
approximately nothing. Uh, I'm on like my third week now of overtime weeks. So haven't done any of that. D&D got postponed. And uh, the problem with war being my entire gaming brand is that when real war happens, it uh, very much leaves a sour taste in my mouth to be playing fictional army. Aww. So I have done almost exactly nothing. Uh, I did get a couple of expansions for Marvel champions. I got Doctor Strange and Ms. Marvel, but I just haven't felt the energy or the inclination to do anything really game related this week. You haven't been, you know, closely watching the military situation to figure out how it can apply to war games. Depending on how it all turns out, maybe in like 20 years, I'll make a six millimeter Ukraine versus Russia. But I don't know. I was even trying to play like tiny metal, which is a, cartoony kind of war game on the switch and just like watching the little soldiers like cheer as they capture cities i'm just kind of like no i can't do that i will however uh make a trophy for the ghost of kiev with a little 16 millimeter fulcrum and if we ever find out who they are or even if they exist i will pay the money to mail that trophy to uh ukraine yes ace in a day that may or may not exist or perhaps is multiple people or whatever i hope it exists i hope the ghost of kiev is a real fighter pilot and from what i've heard if they if they are real and that story is true they would be the first fighter ace of the 21st century that is correct um they're not they wouldn't be the first fifth gen fighter ace because technically they're still using a fourth gen fighter the mig 29 uh is not a fifth gen fighter it doesn't have it's not new enough it doesn't have the stealth and super cruise abilities but it seems like if they are real they yeah ace in a day the first fighter race of the 21st century and really pushing that airframe to its maximum potential which is pretty sweet gotta say yeah from the news that i've seen ukrainian air force may or may not still be a viable fighting force so i don't know if we'll see them come back well it certainly doesn't seem like the russian air force has total air superiority given that they keep getting stuff shot down that is very true so uh yeah we stand with the people of ukraine glory to ukraine and uh we generally stand with anyone who's getting invaded by an aggressive neighbor especially if they're you know a democracy that's trying to be free don't walk into your neighbor's house with a gun that's my general life philosophy unless they've like invited you over to shoot rats or something i don't know woo games yeah awkward transitions over ignoring awkward transitions and current events let's talk rogues I am ready to get edgy. Yeah, when you need somebody who's so edgy that they might cut themselves on their own backstory. The Rogue. <laughs> That's like the first genuine laugh I've had all week. As a class, the Thief slash Rogue draws from history, mythology, and 
fantasy novels. A lot of fantasy novels. Uh, a few of the major inspirations that uh, the original game designers quoted were Bilbo Baggins from The Hobbit, The Grey Mouser from Fritz Lieber's Fairfed and the Grey Mouser novels, and Cudgel the Clever from Jack Vance's Dying Earth series. Uh, Jack Vance's Dying Earth series will make an appearance when we get to the wizard as well, so uh, that one was kind of important. Of all of these, I mean, everyone should have read The Hobbit. If you haven't read The Hobbit, stop the podcast, go read The Hobbit, then come back and pick up the podcast again. All right, I'll be back in like 12 hours. You haven't read The Hobbit? Haven't read The Hobbit, have read Lord of the Rings though. Am I going to have to come over to your house and like throw a copy of The Hobbit at you? Possibly. It might already be on my Kindle, I don't know. I've got so much stuff on there, I've lost track of it. Read The Hobbit. It's good. It's, it's yeah, it's a fairly short read, to be honest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the question that somebody asked in high school and say, can I just read the, can I just watch the movie? No. <laughs> Do not watch the movie. In fact, watching the movie might take longer than reading the book, since it's a three-part film. And they're bloated nonsensical theme park rides is D just competitive literature 100 <laughs> percent. but back to the fantasy novels we were talking about you know bilbo baggins and the hobbit the gray mouser from fritz lieber and jack vance's cudgel the clever i would recommend in addition to reading the hobbit if you can find the dark horse comic version of fairfoot and the gray mouser it's fantastic and tells a lot of the important stories of that series. And it includes art by Mike Magnolia. Ooh, I'm going to look on my app right now and see if I can find that as much as I hate the new version of the app. Yeah, it's great. I have it somewhere. Um, you could also consider, like, from mythology, Odysseus as being a rogue. His plans are mostly sneaking and talking his way out of problems first and then violence. So he kind of fits the roguish trickster archetype. In Dungeons & Dragons, thieves first appeared in the 1975 Greyhawk supplement. They acted there to round out the classic party composition. You know, fighting man, magic user, cleric, and then you need a rogue because somebody has to disarm all these traps and unlock all these doors, and it's not going to be the fighting man. Uh, I'd like to watch the fighting man try and uh, destroy some traps. You can destroy them by running into them in that way. Just tank the damage. You're fine. In OD&D, rogues had the ability to open locks, remove traps, move stealthily, hide in shadows, pick pockets, and a number of other sneaky traits. In combat, they had the option to strike stealthily from behind, which gave them a bonus to hit and double damage if they actually hit. Thieves originally had quite low hit dice, D4s, just like the wizard, and they could be any race and any non-lawful alignment. Had to be chaotic. Or, I guess, neutral. In 1st edition, thief abilities were pretty much unchanged. The big adjustments were that their hit dice went up to D6s, and Strike Silently from behind got shortened to backstabbing, which I think everyone involved appreciated. Yeah, it's a good shortening. First edition also introduced the special language, Thieves Can't, which we'll talk about a bit more because that's a feature that's also in fifth edition. I'm sorry, I'm an artificer. I don't speak Thieves Can't. 
second edition was basically the same as first with some slight adjustments to the skills. Thieves now fell under the rogue category along with bards and some other like side classes. Second edition had sort of you had your classes and they were in different categories like the warrior category was where fighters and barbarians hung out. And rogues included bards and thieves and so on and so forth. Third edition is when the name change hit. Third edition was the first published by Wizards of the Coast rather than TSR. And they decided that perhaps a broader, less criminal term would be better for the class. So thieves became rogues. They got increases in skill points. Backstab got changed to being sneak attack because you didn't always have to stab them in the back. And instead of just doubling damage when you hit, it provided bonus dice so that it scaled a little better with what level you were on. It could also be applied in various situations where the rogue has a chance on to get a drop on the opponent. So it didn't just have to be when you stab someone in the back. It could be if you were flanking them, if they were incapacitated. It gave it a broader activity range. Um... Thieves Camp was also removed. Really? I don't know why, it just was. There was no Thieves Camp in 3rd edition. That's weird. 4th edition rogues were a martial striker class focused on doing large amounts of damage to a single target and having high mobility exploits allowing them to move around the map quickly. And I have nothing else to say about 4th edition. <laughs> Should just be our tagline. Nothing, nothing else to say about 4th edition. We'll have the shortest podcast we ever do will be 4th edition. It exists. End of show. 4th edition was a thing. It can be praised for bringing warlocks into the mainstream and adding tieflings and dragonborns as common player classes. That's all we have to say about 4th edition. Congratulations. 5th edition rogues are fun and varied. They get a variety of roguish archetypes at third level to help differentiate them, and it lets them go in a bunch of different and interesting directions, and I really like the ways that they've been set up. All rogues get a number of abilities, starting with improved skills and Thieves' Cant, which we let's talk about Thieves' Cant right now. Thieves' Cant is a special thieves-only language full of misdirection and, like, hidden meanings, and I treat it as basically being Cockney rhyming slang. Thieves can't or thieves won't? Burned. Thieves can and thieves will. Thieves can't can be very fun to roleplay as essentially your thief can hold a conversation and it has all sorts of double or triple secret meanings. And so you just have to kind of make up a bunch of stuff and talk to your rogue player in character as somebody as another rogue or whatever and try and get a message across to them it the downside is it really only works when the rogue player is into it and willing to go along with this because if they just kind of stare at you blankly while the person tries to use innu innuendo and secret meanings and stuff then it's kind of sad for everyone i'm sorry i i don't understand i'm i'm a first level thief you get Thieves Cant at first level. I'm level 0 
That's not a thing in this edition. Hey, man, everybody's got to start somewhere. Uh, rogues also get Sneak Attack as one of their defining abilities. It allows them to roll additional damage dice when they make an attack where they have advantage or when they have an ally within five feet of the target. So if you're like tag teaming against a foe, you can get off a Sneak Attack. Or if you have advantage for any reason, um, whether that's attacking from hiding or the enemy is blinded by something or restrained by something or any other reason that would give you advantage, you get your sneak attack. Gonna blind him with some science. That's how the artificer do. Yes, if you have an artificer rogue, you can blind them with science and then get off your sneak attack. Oh, artificer rogue. I gotta save that for later. As rogues level up, they get a bunch of improvements, starting with bonus actions for hiding, running, or leaving combat, reducing damage by dodging, Evasion to avoid damage from effects that cause dexterity saves, improvements to skills and saving throws, and eventually a power that allows you to just treat missing as being a hit or a skill roll as being a 20 once per short rest. You just kind of you're just lucky. Just a lucky rogue. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that's a yes. I'm just gonna say, you know, look at me, look at me. I'm the DM now. <laughs> and of course that's just the like basic all rogues get this sort of abilities the roguish archetypes unlock a bunch of different flavorful things starting with the thief archetype thief rogues focus on all the classic elements of the class they get the ability to disarm traps and open locks as a bonus action during combat making them ridiculously fast at popping that lock open. They can climb faster, sneak better, and get to use all magic devices, even ones not intended for their class or particular race. That's not how this is... In that's not its intended use. It's just like, I don't care if it's supposed to require four arms to use. I'm a rogue. At 17th level, they get the ability to just take two turns on the first round of combat. They steal someone else's turn, essentially. <laughs> stolen well i mean not really they just act they just get a second turn during the first round of combat because they're rogues they're they're a classic thing they're, they're just classic playstyle is thief but there are other options for example the assassin the other sort of classic rogue type the ones focused on stabbing people to death more assassins get proficiency with poisoner's kit disguise kit and have advantage on attacks when they're the first act when they go first in combat. If the opponent hasn't acted yet, rogue can just the assassin just gets to stab them better. At higher levels, they can create elaborate forgeries and get the ability to mimic actions and speech of other people, allowing them to do hitman-style infiltrations of secure areas, castles, dungeons, merchants, houses, wherever. I go where I want. Yeah, they're just going to sneak in pretending to be a waiter or something. Pretending to be the duke of some other nation. It, the, the rogue the assassin rogues just walk into places in broad daylight and, um, and then, you know, stab someone. And then it's good work, Agent 47, target eliminated. Head to an exit. Uh, eventually, they get the ability to force a surprised creature they hit with an attack to make a constitution saving throw or just take 
massive damage. Probably enough to kill anyone that's not like a barbarian or a dragon or something. Ow. This is the like stab somebody out of nowhere kind of do all the damage move. They, they're also probably the edgiest of all the rogues. You know, the thieves may or may not wear all black. The assassin wears all black all the time. <laughs> On a slightly less edgy note, you have the arcane trickster, which are rogues with magic. Arcane tricksters are intelligence-based half-casters, so they only get spells up to, like, level 4. They're not going to be casting the big stuff, but they get a variety of them. And they also get a bunch of special features when using the Mage Hand cantrip. I love Mage Hand. Yeah, they can cast it. Um, normally it casts and you have like a magical glowing hand that moves around and does stuff. Well, Arcane Tricksters can have it be invisible, which is important. And they can use it to pick locks and steal items from people. <laughs> At higher levels, they can apply some of the rogue sneaky tricks to spell casting, you know getting advantage on attacks when they cast spells from hiding or stuff like that. Um, and eventually, at the like top ability, they can steal other people's magic. When somebody else casts a spell that would hit the Arcane Trickster, they can force the caster to make a save, and if they fail, the spell has no effect against the Trickster, and the Trickster can now cast that spell for the next eight hours. That's harsh. It's pretty great. They're just like, oh, you cast magic on me? Oh, I could use that. Thank you. And, you know, that's the core book archetypes for rogues. Xanathar's Guide to Everything added four new rogue subtypes, which is pretty impressive. And they're, they're, they're fun. The first one is the Inquisitive, which is the rogue as a detective. I like that one. They have bonuses to checks involving insight, perception, and investigation. They can use their insight skill to perform sneak attacks against a target's weak point, sort of making an insight check in order to get the ability to spot that, oh, they've they've been wounded and they have an old war wound in their leg that mean, hasn't healed properly, so I should attack the leg, sweep the leg or whatever. Oh, you beat me to it. And eventually gain the ability to just sense illusions, shapeshifters, and other magical trickery that's going on around them. They just know. Um, inquisitives are a great, like, you want to play Sherlock Holmes? Inquisitive rogue. You just kind of, yes, I know he's there. I have deduced through my high intelligence and insight score that he is lying. It's elementary. Elementary, my dear Warforged. <laughs> I'm, I'm just assuming that Watson is a Warforged cleric in this situation. He's got to be able to heal, and he served in a war, so yeah. I don't I don't have a good enough uh, grip on Sherlock Holmes to come up with any better suggestions. Well, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, sure, every good detective needs a criminal nemesis. And the nemesis of the Inquisitive Rogue is the Mastermind Rogue. The Rogue is schemer and criminal. The mastermind that gets abilities that help them in learning secrets, pretending to be other people, and figuring out things about NPCs. Who they are, who they work for, what they're doing in town, that sort of stuff. In combat, they can use the help action as a bonus to support others, can redirect attacks to people that they are like hiding behind rather than being hit by them, 
and eventually they get the ability to just shield their thoughts from telepathy and mind reading and to just avoid spells that determine if they're telling the truth working at all. They are always shown to be telling the truth under those spells. Get a good old lasso of truth. Yeah, it doesn't work on a mastermind rogue. Mastermind rogue's too mentally slippery for that. You cannot master my mind. Yes, well, mastermind rogues are the more are the Napoleons of crime. If your setting has Napoleon, otherwise, I guess you'd have to come up with the setting equivalent of Napoleon of crime. <laughs> Beyond just criminals and detectives, Xanathar's also added the Scout, outdoorsy rogues. Is he better than the Ranger? Well, I mean, they're either outdoorsy rogues or rangers who like stabbing people in the back. I don't know that they're strictly better than the ranger. They do get proficiency in nature and survival skills and some extra movement if people start near them and better movement speed and ambush tactics and use of bonus actions to make extra attacks. But they, they don't have any real exploration skills. Or, like, outdoors bonus skills, other than just knowing how to do nature and survival. What about, like, urban exploration skills? That would seem to be appropriate-ish. Or is that just an everyday rogue? I think that's an everyday rogue. As far as I know, there aren't any, like, urban-specific classes in 5th edition. Uh, we don't have any of the urban druids or urban ranger archetypes that third and 3.5 had i think one of my old bosses could have been considered like an urban rogue since he was really good at picking locks and used to do a lot of urban exploration stuff yeah that's just a normal rogue though like they're good at picking locks and good at getting into old buildings i haven't read through all of the uh Ravnica book for D&D, &D, but they might have something that's like urban-specific classes since the entire plane is just one giant city. Yeah, I haven't read through that book at all, so... Yeah. I started and kind of lost interest partway through. I don't know why it is that putting magic, or putting D&D &D into magic seemed to work really well, but trying to put magic into D&D &D just comes off kind of flat. I'd say something about the depth of the lore, but I haven't read enough magic lore to tell if it has depth. It has a little bit. There's there's some stories and whatnot. Beyond the scout, it also there's also one of my favorites, the swashbuckler rogue. I'm on board. They are flashy, high-performance fighting rogues. Great for pirate-themed games, but they could also be like Zoro or Three Musketeers style, or, you know, any of that kind of thing. The swordsman... When you hit somebody, it prevents them from making opportunity attacks. You get some bonuses for your charisma score. Uh, you can use a sneak attack if you're the only person fighting an enemy, which is kind of the opposite of the traditional sneak attack, where you can do it when you have allies fighting them. At higher levels, you get to start quipping. And you can quip to give disadvantage to foes or to charm people who aren't hostile to you. Your mother was a hamster. Yeah, that would give your opponent disadvantage if they can understand your language. My my retorts, unfortunately, would be about as bad as when I do them as a bard, because 
I'm not an improv person and not particularly quick on my brain. Yeah, swashbucklers require a lot of brain quickness and a lot of fancy footwork quickness as well. Um, basically, they just get really good with sword fighting and being the center of attention. And I really want to play a swashbuckler rogue in like a pirate campaign one of these days. Arg. Yo-ho, me hearties. Yo-ho. We can do a... We can do a pirate campaign themed around a ghost archipelago and just mash up our our games that'd be pretty sweet use ghost archipelago as the setting and D as the system and run that that'd be cool but before we get off topic and start talking about how we're going to make other fun games for ourselves there are still two more classes which are two more subclasses roguish archetypes from tasha's cauldron of everything the first is the Phantom. Phantoms are rogues that have been... They're edgier, edgier rogues. I didn't think that was possible. These are rogues that have been touched by the Shadowfell or infused with negative energy and undeath or whatever. Um, they get some changeable proficiencies. They get a thing where they stab someone and there's like a whale of undeath that does necrotic damage to a different foe. When somebody dies, they can create a soul trinket with a couple of different ability with a couple of different like actions that that can do. I got your soul. Yeah, you get a sliver of the person's soul that you can use to power certain abilities. Um, at higher levels, they can turn into a ghost and walk around for like ten minutes, and eventually get the area ability to just like the whales from the grave and the soul trinkets just get better. They're, they're kind of weird. I get it that they're like death magic rogues, but they just seem kind of weird to me. I can, I can kind of get the vibe they're going for, but how well it works, I'd have to see for myself. Speaking of phantoms, are you familiar with the comic book character, the phantom? Uh, who dresses in all purple? Yep. Yep. Have you heard the story about when they uh, introduced the character to uh, the indigenous population? I think it was in Papua New Guinea. Oh, that he's based off of? But there, I think it was during World War II uh, when the Allies were in the island. Some of them had phantom comic books with them and showed them to the uh, indigenous warriors there. And they were very fascinated by it, especially since I think the phantom is supposed to be African-American. Um, and then after that, uh, depictions of the Phantom started showing up on the Aboriginal warrior shields, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, this Phantom has, I think, nothing to do with that Phantom. It's still... I would say it is as edgy as the Assassin. Because um, you're like, ooh, I've been touched by death. And when I kill someone, I get a sliver of their soul. But speaking of slivers of people's souls... Pain to get out of your fingers if you get them down in there. Yeah, ooh, splint, soul splinters, not cool. The last roguish archetype is that of the soul knife. It's a psychic rogue. I was going to say, it sounds too similar to the phantom. No, it, it's quite different. Um, The soul knife was a classic psychic class, being basically, uh, well, comic books. What's her name? Psylocke from the X-Men? Yeah, she's a appropriately edgy character from that weird period of comic books. Yeah, she's she is 100% the basis for the soul knife. 
class, um, as it appeared in like 3.5, and then this is just the extension of it. They're rogues that stab people with their mind. Mind bullets. Psychic blades, really. Soul knives get telepathic communication with allies. They get some, like, psychic, psionic energy dice that can use to fuel various powers. They manifest psychic blades from their hands. Again, it's Psylocke, the character from the 90s X-Men. You can throw your psychic blades. They disappear if they hit somebody after doing damage. Um, they get better as you level up. They can, like, home or allow you to teleport around. You can use psychic energy to, like, make yourself invisible briefly. Eventually, you can use your psychic blades to attack people's minds directly. Although, really, all that does in this case is stun them. Rather than kill them. Would that be, like, the equivalent of doing a lobotomy with your fists? Yeah, basically. Um... It's a stunning ability, so... Which is good, because stunned creatures are really easy to damage, so if you psychically stab somebody in the brain and they're stunned, then the rest of the party can just beat the crap out of them. Uh, soul knives are interesting. They're... They're cool in campaigns where psychic powers are a thing. And in other campaigns, they would seem wildly out of place. Yeah, I don't think I've been in a game that does a lot of stuff with Psychic. Uh, Eberron, the setting, has some hints of it. Mostly happening on one of the other continents. Uh, the Kalashar have Psychic abilities, typically. So if you're playing an Eberron game and you want to be a Soul Knife, play a Kalashar. As for Forgotten Realms, I have no idea. No idea where you'd get a psychic character in Forgotten Realms. In Dark Sun? There's plenty of psychic stuff, because magic is on the way out. Yeah, that works. Um, so yeah, that's uh, those are the roguish archetypes. And also a brief discussion about the Phantom. For some reason. But, roguish archetypes! So we have to ask a question here, as we always do. What archetype would you take for a Modron rogue? I'm kind of leaning towards Phantom Modron. The Modron touched by death and undeath? Okay, please go on. Describe your theoretical Phantom Modron. He's just like a, a blue screen. Instead of... In Instead of being, like, metallic-colored, he's just a blue screen with some writing on it. Oh god, that's terrifying. He's in a constant boot loop. <laughs> it gets soul trinkets that are, like, USB drives. Yes. Alright, alright, I can get behind this. I have two thoughts. The first is the inquisitive Modron Rogue. He's a detective stalking the mean streets of Sigil in the Planescape universe. Yeah, I like it. His, part his partner got killed, and now he's out for vengeance with his hand crossbow and, uh, you know, gonna track down the criminals responsible for this. Man, I wish they would just do it and release Planescape for 5e. Just do it. Me too. I, I would massively would love that. Bring back the original artist as well. I don't care. I would 
I would give them 50 of my dollars on opening day for that book. As would I. The other option is a swashbuckler Motron Rogue. He's a pirate captain on a spelljammer ship. That's a good one, too. Sailing the astral seas. Arg. Sword in hand. The cosmic winds whipping past his face. Um, yeah, that would just... I, the Modron pirate captain. Uh, captain Gearbeard. <laughs> would be pretty pretty great. And I would want to throw him into one of my campaigns if I ever do a Spelljammer game. Now I'm just imagining a uh, a, a clockwork beard just constantly in motion. Tick-tock, tick-tock, yeah. That would be pretty great. Instead of having, like, the burning fuses and all the smoke around your face, it's just you hear this ominous ticking of a beard. Like, instead of burning fuses, it has little, like, pocket watches in there? Yes, pocket watches dangling off of it. Yeah. Captain Gearbeard. Okay, I think I think that's I think that's the winner. Yay! Hooray! Huzzah for Captain Gearbeard, pirate of the astral sea. Just had to figure out how to translate "arg" into binary. It's just the modem sound. <laughs> yeah, Modron modem noises. So yeah, that Captain Gearbeard. Uh, if anyone wants to draw fan art of Captain Gearbeard. Please do. We would love to see that. Yes. And that's it. Well, actually, anything else you want to say about rogues? Mm, not that I can think of. I I didn't really have any particularly edgy jokes lined up. And there seems to be only one flavor of like rogue meme. So I didn't I didn't find anything particularly good when I was looking for D&D memes. Yeah, the rogue meme tends to be how edgy they are, how they're always orphans, how their backstories are tragic. Um, I guess also how they're sneaky and steal from the party is sort of the other thing, is the rogue, the untrustworthy rogue that's going to steal all your stuff. Well, I guess that one is a little bit true because my sister played a rogue once and tried to uh, steal from my character. Yes, that is classic murder hobo rogue time. I've I played a lot of rogues when I was younger. Yeah, that seemed to be the one I remember you playing most. You played the ranger, I played the rogue, our other friend played the wizard, and then whoever else we could rope into the game would play a druid or a cleric, for the most part. The one person who was like 50-50 on actually really wanting to be there or not. <laughs> Trust us, dude, d d's cool. It depended on the person, but yeah, whoever else we roped in would be the cleric or druid because we needed a healer but yeah i like rogues none of my backstories were particularly edgy i feel for the most part i just like that they got, get a lot of skills they have a lot of options for being able to do stuff they have some high charisma effects so they're good at talking and you know being one of the more front-facing members of the party when it comes to negotiations or getting information out of stuff and, you know, sneak attack is a fun ability to just get in there and do a bunch of damage to somebody because you can. It's cool. Just gonna just gonna slip it in. Just the tip. Do not lick your knife if you poison it. Whoopsie daisy. Pro tip for all you assassin rogues out there. Don't lick the poison. 
Don't lick steak knives. Don't lick bread knives. Just don't lick knives in general. Let's go with that. Alright, and with that, we've finished our discussion of the rogue, or rouge, as it is sometimes known on the internet. (laughs) Uh, So we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. And today we're going to talk about the Lost Ruins of Arnak here in the Board Game Corner. Lost Ruins of Arnak uh, came out in 2020. It is a one to four player game about being archaeologists, sort of Indiana Jones style adventure archaeologists, going to an uninhabited island and discovering the ruins of an ancient lost civilization and defeating the various guardians of the ruins. It's a... It belongs in a museum. No, it belongs in a game store. It's sort of part deck builder, part worker placement. I've played it once or twice. It's interesting. It's it has some really good artwork. It's quite flavorful. It has a lot of moving parts, though. So I would say if you're going to play it, if you're going to introduce it to people, play maybe part of a game and then start over from the beginning once people kind of understand how all the mechanics work because you have to play a few rounds a few turns to get the mechanics and once you do you're like oh i shouldn't have done any of the things i did in the first three turns sounds like one i could get into yeah it's got a decent number of like tactical decisions and you get fairly few actions on each of your turns so it's interesting i i like it I don't own a copy, personally. I've played it with some friends and family. But I think it's pretty solid game. It has a rather good score on Board Game Geek, if you're into that sort of thing. And uh, I will say the playing time can get kind of long if you don't have uh, somebody winning outright. It has a lot fewer uh, screw-the-leader mechanics than some other similar games. Because you're all kind of working against the game itself rather than against each other so it's harder to just screw somebody over i'd recommend it if you're interested i suspect you can find it at most local game stores uh it's recently published and it's you know quite big so maybe go check it out that is lost ruins of arnak reminds me of an reminds me of another one I think from either the late nineties or the early two thousands called to call, which is about uh, doing excavations and archeology span stuff in the uh, Yucatan peninsula. Um, I played that one a lot when I was younger. Uh, That was uh, another one that could be a recommendation if you're into that same aesthetic. Yeah. I think that one will have to get its own board game corner though. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll play it again. It's been decades since I last played it, but I remember it being fun. So It'll probably show up again at some point. That's one of the key components to showing up on Board Game Corner is being fun. And I don't know, maybe occasionally we'll do one that we just absolutely hate. Or or we'll have to come up with a new segment, call it like, instead of the Board Game Corner, tearing apart the Board Game Box, I don't know. It'll be Board Game Corner of Shame. Yeah, that works. Corner of Shame. Yeah, so uh, we'll do that when we get around to like Monopoly or something. I think we should play a game of Monopoly and just see how horrendously it goes. I'm going to cheat. In business, that's how things work. So is are you really cheating at Monopoly? 
Nothing in the rules said I couldn't take interest-free loans from the bank. I got a small loan of a hundred million dollars. Uh, then that's not. Then that's not cheating. That's just business. Make you take me to court to pay rent and stuff. <laughs> Monopoly two now with now with uh, the legal system. I mean, you can already go to jail, so doesn't it already have the legal system? Going to jail is the most unrealistic part of Monopoly. Yeah, you're a property developer. Why would you go to jail? Good times. <sighs> and with that, comments on unregulated capitalism. I think we're going to this podcast can come to an end. Uh, we've been Noel Country. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter as at we are at Noel Country. You can find us on Instagram at Noel Country. You can like and subscribe and rate our podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen to it. Uh, that helps other people find it, so please do. Ed, you got any plugs? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Animadness. Uh, as I've said in past weeks, it's been pretty quiet there, uh, just from not having the time to do a whole lot of anything. I don't have a no country branded product for you this week. Instead, I'd recommend you give your money dollars to the Red Cross or a uh, Ukrainian evacuation fund, uh, help them out, get people out of where they need to go or potentially uh, help them stay if that's their desire. Uh, if you are a video game player, I know that the producers of This War of Mine, which is about a country being invaded similar to this situation they're currently giving uh, all the profits they make from sales of that game to uh, some ukrainian relief funds so go ahead and buy that whether or not you play it you know that's up to you but the money at least goes somewhere and if you are a russian warship go fuck yourself go fuck yourself russian warship and uh go Knowles. go Knowles. <laughs>